morning, um, we're going to jump into a story from um, John in chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, you can. Um, the title this morning is Never Be Thirsty Again. You probably know where I'm going here. Um, I love this story, this story with, uh, with Jesus and the woman at the well. There is, there is so much here, um, and, and there's so much going on here that as Jesus is hanging out at the well while the guys go into town to get some food. Um, he's hanging out at, at the well at midday, when this woman is coming at midday, which is the worst time of day um, to go and get water, because it's the hottest part of the day, but it's also the least populated time of the day at the water. This this is something that when I was in the south, um, we went to. Sorry, I gotta jump into this. Um, we went to help out after Katrina, and we went to a um, to a, this this um, uh, African American church in. It wasn't Biloxi. It was over near Biloxi. Um, their church is in the background, destroyed, but they have the old building, and they had like fifteen hundred in the the main church, but most people had kind of gone away. There was about 200 people that were shoved into this building, and we went to church there just reeking from having worked on houses and sweaty and all this, and um, we were the only white people in the room, um, and it was so awesome hearing them worship. They had a choir that was wrapped around the room because they, they just made it happen, and um, during the message, the pastor stood up and was preaching, and he had like six men, um, elders of the church sitting around him, and they'd be like, amen, brother, and they'd be like, glory, glory, and they're just hitting him the whole time through the message, and I was like, you know, that is so, so absolutely distracting. I don't know if I could ever do that. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Oh. <laughs> uh, so they're not an elephant in the room. They're brothers that are, that are keeping me in prayer, and I really appreciate it. Um, they, were, they were at the, this, this well at midday, and, and I know that this is most likely time for this woman not to be seen by the people that know her, that knew what she had gone through, knew what she was doing, that would probably call her on it, and she wanted to avoid that. And I believe that Jesus intentionally met her there at that time. Isn't it interesting that Jesus meets us right where we need to be met? It's, it's not just the just as I am. It's just as he decides. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? His timing is perfect. It was a time for him to confront her. We don't like that word confrontation, do we? I, I, think, I think in America, in, in our modern day, day, day and age, um, confrontation is not something that we are excited about. Actually, we want to do things in such a way that we're, we're not confrontational because we, we want to we we be politically correct. Well, I don't. Um, we want we, we want to be uh, you know we want to make sure everybody's okay, and this is why we have that epidemic of of um, participation medals. And it's not just for 
the younger part of our generation. It's for all of us. There's, there's this sense of, we just don't want to confront. We don't want to confront issues. We don't want to deal with, um, I think part of it is that confrontation scares us because it, it, it's so close to conviction. And conviction, oh, wait, 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 wait. I can't be convicted of the things that I've done because I might change. I might have grace poured out into my life. Mercy, healing, and peace. Why do you get those things? Adversity, conflict, confrontation. We desire peace, but sometimes we have to have upheaval in our lives to appreciate that peace. Sometimes we need to have ailments that we're being healed of for us to have the faith to understand what God has done for us. He finds us in moments we are least expecting to be in to lift our expectations. He met her at this well, but he lifted her expectations. She had very low expectations for herself. You ever, you ever have that when you go to a, this is something that Kelly and I do when we go to a movie that people have built up and our expectations are really high. We kind of go in and go, yawn. But if we hear people saying, well, I didn't like this movie or, or maybe it's one that we really want it to be good, we'll just have really low expectations. We're like, oh, it's going to be horrible. We'll go in, uh, it's going to be like a cloudy day with lightning and, and rain um, and, and we're just going to go in and it's like, woo, that movie was awesome. But I think what happens is in our life, we lower our own expectations so often and so frequently and so permanently that Jesus wants to come in and he wants to raise our expectations. He's lift up your, lift up your eyes, oh you gates. Lift up your eyes for the Lord is here, right? And he, he lifts our expectations, he lifts our eyes and he does this for this woman. So in chapter four, um, he takes this moment, um, he, he finds those moments where we're least expecting. He, he found this moment where she's least expecting to be taught um, or to find his love or to find this living water that he talks about. In John 7, uh, 4, 7 through 10, it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his dis disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now that, that almost seems like, if you knew the gift of God, would, I mean, like if anybody else said this, you'd just be like, you arrogant, but... But this is Jesus. He's lifting her expectations. This is not just an arrogant thing being said. This is something from the living God that's right before her that she's missing. She hasn't seen saying, if you understood who I was, you'd be asking for me. 
The first point is this. Jesus transcends our physical need. Jesus transcends our physical needs. Jesus invades this woman's every day to bring her a glimpse of the eternal. You ever experienced that? You ever feel like your, your every day was invaded by Jesus and he gives you a glimpse of the eternal? Man, salvation is that way, isn't it? Our salvation, he transcended just our physical needs, went to, right to the root of it. Let's go to the spiritual need that you have. You ever notice that Jesus starts with the practical and quickly escalates to the eternal? He starts out with just practical things, and he escalates it to the eternal. I mean, he, he asks her for a drink, and it escalates to this concept that what, what he has for her and for us, really, is a living water that will slake our every thirst. It'll slake our spiritual thirst that we may have. And in fact, this is the same, th- the same living water that can bubble up in us to an overflow into other people's lives. Have you ever thought about that? That you might be a well or an oasis for someone else. I think we're going to find that, that, that people like Nathan, no matter how short that was, that time was, that he was walking with the Lord, it's going to end up that he, is, he has somehow been a well or an oasis to somebody else. I pray that. John 4, 11 through 14 says, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She didn't get it. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, it's that well. It's not just the drink. It's like immediately when it touches our lips, we are overflowing with it. Immediately. The second point is this, that Jesus fills our spiritual craving. Do you understand that there, are, there, there is this craving in us? There's this, um, there's that song. It's, it's not even a Christian song, so just bear with me here. You hear that song? Constant craving. Have you heard that song, right? See, even the world gets it. There's this constant craving in us. It's what we fill ourselves with that matters. If you fill yourself with ding-dongs, and you, you fill yourself with donuts, and you fill yourself with no broccoli, what's going to happen? You're going to be a ding-dong. Yeah, I guess I chose the wrong treat there. 
could be a honey bun. Um, but there is something about that spiritually. There's that spiritual craving. It's a constant craving. Unless we fill that with Jesus, that living water, we will always be thirsty again. We crave things of God. We crave this relationship that Adam had and was able to walk with God in the cool of the evening. And, and that craving drives every one in this world. If you think it doesn't, you're probably lying to yourself or lying to somebody else. This is why there's drug addiction, food addiction, sexual addiction, all of it. It's because we're trying to fill those spaces with the wrong thing, with the wrong water. It's like we've decided to, to go and plug ourselves into the exhaust um, that comes out of some plant out into the ocean. We're just drinking from that. But yet, there is living water that we just have to have a taste and we will pour it out. How we live this out, I think... Um, It's a minefield that we walk through in this sin-filled world. But where we get off track. But there's still that craving. That constant, constant craving. The craving is not a bad thing. See, that's the thing. It's like, have you ever been, like, hungry for dinner? And you've been out doing something, and you're just like, and you get that waft of what's cooking. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, that's going to be good. Come on, you've said it. I, 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 you may be like, I don't want to feel guilty about, about wanting food like that. But it's, I mean, Thanksgiving dinner, you come in from outside, maybe you went out and played ball with some people, and you come inside, and you're ooh, I didn't know I was that hungry. That craving is not a bad thing. It's just what we tend to replace God with, that's the bad thing. We crave God, yet we fill it with drugs, sex, poor decisions, normalcy. We want things normal. We don't think, want things to change. We want security. Or we just don't get that we are worth more to God than our cravings. That craving is what, what Satan attacked Jesus with. Hey, turn this rock into bread. And what did he reply? What did Jesus say back to Satan? Yeah. That, that his food was the word of God. That, that, you got this living water, you got this spiritual food that meets those cravings. John 4, 16 through 19 says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands. You have had five husbands, and the one that you are now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think. <laughs> She's very perceptive. 
I think if somebody called me on uh, on all of my my junk like that, I that would be the the most um, random thing to say. I perceive that you are prophetic in what you say. But Jesus doesn't condemn the woman. He doesn't he doesn't condemn her. And this is where Jesus just stands out in this story it, it, because he. he he doesn't condemn her for what he discovered in her. He already knew what was in her, but he knew what needed to be in her. He, needed, he knew that she needed her cravings to be lined up with the right thing. Um, she was seeking her craving in the security and the relationship with men, and she may or may, or may have not chosen poorly in those, but, but uh, we really don't see this here, but... But Jesus gets down to it. He gets down to the the nitty-gritty of this, and he unveils her sin, not to unveil her sin and unveil her, but to uncover what she thinks is hidden. And not to to strip her um, like like we see uh, some of the Pharisees would do. They they um, They would be condemning condemning the woman to death um, by stoning, right? It was very public. She was dragged out in the street to, be, to have this done to her. He did this in a quiet moment when no one else was there. He unveils her sin because he wants her to know that he knows because of the conversation that he's bringing her to. Is that the third point is Jesus brings to light what is hidden. He doesn't bring to light what is hidden to condemn. That's the thing. It's like, that's the difference. Like when we, when we say, hey, you did this to somebody, we're kind of intending on poking them, right? When Jesus did this, he's, he's like, you know, you're right to say that because this. It was to show his authority, to prove his authenticity in this moment. He is who he says he is. Um, even to her at this point where she, she didn't even understand this whole living water thing. You know, I was thinking about this, and it, that nothing is really hidden in the first place. We think it's hidden, but it, it, even at, at the very beginning of that sin, before that sin, it's not really hidden because God can see that. God sees all that we do. Jesus sees us for who we are. Really, when something comes to light, it, it's, um, it's more about us realizing that we, we've, we were only really fooling ourselves. We're not, we're, not, we're not fooling ourselves. I mean, we're the only ones we can fool, but um, we're not fooling God. We're not fooling Jesus. We're not fooling those around us. How often there has been um, things that people held back from their, their spouses, that their spouses knew really kind of the whole time. So when they reveal it, it's, it's like, oh, you know, okay. We only really fool ourselves thinking things are hidden. And that's the truth. It tends to, it, it lends to this. Um, in, further on in John um, uh, verse 20, John 4 verse 20 through 26, it says, our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. This is her saying this to Jesus. And Jesus says to her, and, and, and I love this because she says it like he said this. 
she's talking to the Jewish people. She's not talking directly to Jesus. She's talking to them as a whole. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who um, is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus was calling her on her own sins, yes, but also on her dishonesty with herself. You ever thought about that? Oh, I don't lie. We lie to ourselves all the time. And he was calling her on her dishonesty with herself. It matters just as much as being dishonest with someone else. You know that? It's like all of a sudden everybody's going, oh, (laughs) whoops. When we cover up our sin and mislead ourselves to believe that it is hidden, we find ourselves to be even more broken than when we started. You know that? We're already broken. We're in a sinful world. We're sinful people. There's a, a sin nature in this world that we cannot circumvent without Jesus. But we're already broken. And when we lie to ourselves and saying, no, I'm good, I'm whole, I'm complete, we're even more broken. And when we get to that place where we discover this, which I think is kind of, kind of interesting because I think that, that Jesus really does, um, reveals it to us in a time where we are truly broken, where we have been more broken because he's, he's, he's like, okay, just break yourself some more. Break yourself some more. You're just, you're just pottery shards now. And I'm going to show you that you can still pour out. You can be a vessel that can pour out because of me. That's, he's saying that. Because of me, because of Jesus in you, you will become an oasis. Number four, uh, final point here. I love how pastors say that. In, in conclusion... We've got another half hour. Um, the last point is Jesus requires the whole self of a worshiper. Spirit and truth. It, it, sometimes you kind of get caught up on like, oh, what does that mean? I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm spiritual enough. Or I, do, I have, do I have to tell everybody everything and, and all the time? What do I, how do I do this? What I, I, I've, I've had conversations with people like this. What, what does that spirit and truth mean? It's, Jesus wants... All of you. He wants every part of you. He wants you to get to that place where, you know, we, we have the whole, the whole analogy that, uh, of the heart being like a home, and we invite him in, and, and we take him in um, to the living room, and we kind of feel like that's it. Yeah, you can just, just wait on the, on the entry there, and we're good. Um, but he wants all of us. He wants to go through all of those rooms. He wants to be able to hang out with you in all of those rooms. Um, to, to have given our whole self means being honest with ourself. Truth. 
being honest with ourselves for who we are. We fail. We can't make it on our own. We, I mean, th- this is the beginning of salvation, right? The salvation prayer is talking about how I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. But we have to constantly say that to ourselves. If we just say that one time, it, it, it's fire insurance. If we say it every day and every moment, it's relationship with the living God. We approach our sin a sinful self with an, this, this illuminating honesty that can only happen with the work of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus wants all of you, like all of you, yes, and all of pretty much the whole globe. Was it 8 billion now or 10 billion? Uh, lots of babies. Um, he wants all of you. All of you, all of you. It's each and every one of us individually. That's the thing that is so hard to comprehend. We can think in those abstract numbers of 8 billion people that he wants, but he wants you, all of you, every bit of you. This is that uh, being honest, have, being in spirit and truth. is we, we, we can't be in spirit and truth if we're not honest with ourselves first and foremost. I need a savior. I need Jesus. Spirit and truth. Spirit's going to lead us to the place to say that. We're going to say it. And then to, to act out in spirit, we have to have the Holy Spirit in us. We have to be operating in the spirit. We're, we're a Pentecostal church. You know that, right? Just saying, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and operating in the, the spiritual gifts are not dead. There, there are some cessationists that say the spiritual gifts were just for the disciples and that's it. How is it that people are, are, have hands laid on them and they're healed? Even today. How is it? Spiritual gifts are not dead. Because the spirit is not dead. If the spirit was dead, okay, you can say the spiritual gifts were dead. But the gifts come from, from the spirit. Working in us and through us. That, that living water, that's the spirit being poured into us and can pour out of us as that oasis. In in that honesty that we go through, in that, that work of the spirit, we are changed for the better. You are changed for the better. Amen? We'll go ahead and set your things aside and we're gonna we're gonna pray.